Hey, it's Sarah, and there's a new podcast I want to tell you about. 30 for 30 Podcasts presents March 11th, 2020, a standalone audio documentary that tells the story of the day the NBA shut down and the pandemic became real for many Americans, as told by those who lived the events of that day and built entirely with archival and exclusive interviews, including Rudy Gobert and Dr. Anthony Fauci. March 11th, 2020, will tell the story of a day that started in one reality, and ended in a new one. 30 for 30 Podcasts presents March 11th, 2020. Subscribe and listen now wherever you get your podcasts. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. Well, that's what she said. Welcome to That's What She Said, conversations with interesting people from the world of sports, music, comedy, and more, talking about their lives, careers, successes, and failures. Hey, everybody, this week is a little bit different, and next week will be too. These are my last two podcasts as a member of the Levitard and Friends Podcast Network, Um, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm still going to be doing the podcast, still available on Apple and iTunes, the podcast app, ESPN app, everywhere you usually get it. But I am bummed that I will no longer be getting the Levitard bump. Um, So I guess you guys, all you lovely listeners, will have to help me out in the relaunch and share the podcast with your friends and family and and all those folks. Your enemies too, why not? Uh, But in the meantime, this week is going to be a fun holiday-themed podcast, and then next week, some goodbyes and thank yous to the Levitard crew and final wrap-ups on this version of the podcast before we do a little podcast rejuvenation and come back a little bit different and hopefully better than ever next year. But let's get today's podcast done with first before we look ahead. Uh, No guest interview today. Instead, a handful of different friends are going to stop by for my annual Festivus airing of grievances. Then a couple bright spots from the holiday season to sort of keep us grounded and grateful as we wrap up a pretty tough year. And then finally, my annual Night Before Christmas Year in Sports recap poem. A true labor of love that takes a long time to rhyme. Uh, All right, let's get some friends involved here. Uh, we're going to head down to South Bitch for some Festivus and air it all out. Let's start with my buddy Jordan Cornett. You can follow him at Jordan Cornett on Twitter. He's host of The Huddle and an analyst on the ACC Network. Also co-hosts Game Day on Sundays on ESPN Radio with his lovely wife, Shay. Uh, let's hear that grievance, Jordan. My biggest sports grievance without question, backdoor covers. I hate them. They've been crushing me this whole holiday season. And now I can't afford to give anybody gifts. The backdoor covers. Make them stop in 2021. Backdoor covers, by the way, for the non-gamblers. It's when an underdog is losing by more than the point spread and then scores some meaningless points late in the game to cover the spread. Uh, This is a very reasonable thing to complain about. And absolutely a bad beat like the end of that uh, that Ravens-Browns game can haunt you for quite some time. But it especially can haunt you when you're gambling with a new mouth to feed. That's right. Jordan and Shay have a corona baby on the way. Make only wise bets, sir. Babies are very expensive from what I've heard. I don't know because I only have dogs and they are expensive and they are significantly less pricey than a baby. So be careful with those bets, buddy. Uh, Up next, a rising star in the industry. He's a producer at WSVN in Miami, also hosts a uh, Marlins podcast that he co-hosts, Swings and Mishes. His name's Jeremy Taché. You can follow him at Jeremy Taché. And uh, here's his Festivus grievance. Hey, Sarah. Thanks for having me on the podcast and happy Festivus for the rest of us. My airing of grievances this year is not much different from what it's been for the last few years, except for the last few years, I've sort of just been yelling this question into the void. Where is the love for the group of five from the college football playoff committee? 
Every single year, they give us just an inkling of hope that an undefeated G5 team can make it to the top four. And yet every single year, we come to the same conclusion. The results of football games apparently don't matter in college football. So, hey, Florida, go ahead and lose to unranked and under 500 LSU. We'll move you down one spot. But if Cincinnati has a game canceled due to, you know, the worldwide pandemic that's happening right now, we'll also move them down one spot. All I'm saying is that Coastal Carolina and Cincinnati and the UCFs of past have every right to want the chance to lose to Alabama, just like the rest of the Power Five schools. Happy Festivus, Sarah. See this, this is this is why I invite up and coming stars like you, because you're still naive and young and hopeful and still under the impression that college football should be fair and based on actual season results instead of a predetermined obsession with power five schools that have good resumes and good recruits. But you're right. Played more games, tougher competition, doesn't seem to matter. We decided who was good before the season started. And as long as none of those teams got beaten by the, uh, you know, West Virginia College of Math and Sciences or something, then they were going to be in. And that's okay. They probably are the best four teams and they probably will make the best games. But it takes away some of the excitement. And I think they need to expand to six. So they can still have their Power 5 faves, but we can still be surprised by a couple other teams that earn a spot, that have a great season, that maybe can come out of nowhere and give themselves a chance. And then they also need to leave the last week of the college football season open for scheduled games that get scheduled in the moment, allowing teams to bolster or buoy their case for inclusion in the playoff. Teams that want to prove to everyone how good they are can face off against each other. I know most college games are scheduled years in advance, which is frankly ridiculous and most of it's based on the money but i think it's a great idea leave that last week open uh that's my two cents college football folks uh moving on oh boy this one's gonna require uh some editing i can only imagine <laughs> jeff passan tends to come with the fire uh you can follow him at jeff passan our great mlb reporter at espn did a great job of breaking news as uh MLB and the, and the MLBPA try to get their shit together to have a season. Uh, he's got a punk kid, and his punk kid's trash-talking abilities and knowledge of liquor are both beyond his years. And for the last two years, those two have teamed up in uh, our radio show Fantasy League to inflict pain on unsuspecting opponents, uh, occasionally myself, recently. Uh, so this is an apropos, uh, apparently, fantasy football rant from him. Hi, this is Jeff Passan. You may know me as an MLB insider at ESPN. Here's something you don't know about me. I hate fantasy football. I hate fantasy football. I hate everything about it. I hate how it monopolizes my Sundays. I hate how mad I get when I lose. I hate sleepers. I hate injury reports. What does questionable even mean? I hate how Field Yates' hair is always perfect. I hate Matthew Berry. I don't even know him. I hate RB2. I swear to God, I hate RB2 more than anything. I always get a good RB1 because I'm not that guy who's like, oh, I'm going to pick a wide receiver in the first round, PPR, meh. So I end up with Jeff Wilson. I have no idea who Jeff Wilson is. I pick up uh, Salvan Ahmed. I'm not sure that's even a person. But I keep coming back to fantasy football, and you know why? Because as much as I hate it, there's no way I hate it as much as Sarah Spain, who this year finished behind a team drafted by my 13-year-old son. 
Happy Festivus, Sarah. <laughs> okay, let's go with uh, best line, obviously. I hate RB2s. Ditto. 100%. Uh, as for your punk kid who passed and texted me today, in the hardest year of our lifetime, you got sunned by a 13-year-old. That boy knows how to handle adversity. You know what? A lesser woman would point out that I whooped that punk kid's ass twice last season, but not I. I will just drop here that my starting QB was injured and yada, yada, yada. It's not my fault. Moving on. John Bouchagras, sports center anchor, hockey analyst here at ESPN. Let's hear your grievance. Happy Festivus Spaniacs. John Butchergross here, a.k.a. Bucci Main, a.k.a. What's the deal with the half the distance to the goal line rule? I send a tweet out every calendar year with that query. Why was it ever implemented? How is it just? The offense has the ball on their own eight-yard line. An offensive lineman kicks an opponent in the undercarriage, and we only go half the distance backwards to the four? Just take it back to the one. Same in the other direction. A team has a ball on the opponent's nine-yard line. The quarterback gets clubbed late and high, and the roughing the passer flag takes the ball to the four-and-a-half. Just take it to the one. All together now, just take it to the one. Why is that so hard? I demand justice. This concludes Scoochie Main's sports grievance. Sarah spelled with an H. You know, I get you on the rules that just kind of stick in your craw because touchbacks in football are an annual source of ire for me, and I'm fairly certain I've done a grievance on this podcast about them before. Uh, And in this case, you know, I get it. You don't want to let a minor defensive penalty land an offense on the one when those red zone yards are precious and should be earned. Uh, And it seems a little arbitrary at times, Uh, but but, I'm not, I'm not. I'm torn on this one, is what I'm going to tell you. I'm torn. I'm not fully on board with your rant, even though I I respect that it comes from a good place, as I also have rules that stick in my craw. Uh, Let's go to the fight game, where my guy Ariel Helwani joins us. He hosts Ariel Helwani's MMA show. Also, Ariel and the bad guy, DCN Helwani. You can also see him on the MMA Snap Show, and sometimes on the sidelines uh, for the NBA. And fun fact, last I checked with Ariel, the entire pandemic, nine months or however long it's been, he has gone to one outdoor ATM and that's it. No grocery stores, restaurants, just his apartment and walks around the neighborhood, uh, which is just wild to me. Uh, maybe his grievance is about that and the four walls in his in his apartment. Let's find out. All right. So this might be a little inside baseball or should I say inside fighting, but something that really grinds my gears is the fact that the UFC and other MMA organizations, namely PFL, force their fighters to wear uniforms. Fighting is about individuality. It's about being unique. It's about being your own character. That's how we fell in love with characters like Mike Tyson back in the day when he wore the all black, Tito Ortiz with the fire, Chuck the Iceman Liddell with the ice shorts, and now they all look the same. This is not the NFL. This is not the NBA. Let the fighters express themselves. Let them wear whatever they want. Let them be different. Let them be unique. Do not let them be uniform. Get rid of the uniforms. And let's go back to the old days when MMA fighters got to wear whatever they want in the cage. It's way better that way. It gets us emotionally invested. Change it. So I'll never forget the first time I saw Rocky. And that's mainly because it was just a couple months ago. (laughs) 
I know, I know. I, I had to catch up on a lot of stuff while I was stuck at home this year, including my first viewing of Rocky. But anyway, the point is that Apollo Creed came out in that all-USA airy thing, that top hat and all. And for a second there, just for a very brief moment, I gave a shit about boxing. Now, it was a movie, and like a second later, I returned to my long-held belief that boxing is not for me. But still, the outfit, the stars, the stripes, I, I agree with you. Fighters, boxers, or otherwise, need to express themselves in that lead-up to the fight, in that dramatic entrance, so I wholeheartedly endorse this rant. Moving on to Frank Isola, who I often debate with on Around the Horn. He's also a host of the starting lineup on Sirius XM NBA Radio. You can follow him at the Frank Isola. Uh, let's hear what he has to rant about. Yo, yo, yo. It's Frank Isola, Sarah Spain's very best friend in New York. Oh, so many grievances this year. We could spend an hour just on the New York teams. We could spend two hours just on Kyrie Irving. I'll focus on Paul George. Playoff P, as they like to call him. Paul George did not play well in the bubble for the Clippers, but yet he was rewarded with a $225 million contract extension. That, folks, is failing up. And then at his press conference, Paul George said, you know what? I owe the Clippers a championship. And I'm thinking, Paul, you played for Indiana. You played for Oklahoma City. You made a ton of money with both of those teams. Did you ever feel like you owed them a championship? But, of course, Paul George is the same guy who, as the Clippers were blowing a 3-1 series lead to the Denver Nuggets, said... We're still in the driver's seat. Yeah, you know what he did in the driver's seat? He drove that Clippers bus right over a cliff. So from now on, playoff P, we're not going to call you that. You will now be known as I-O-U. Happy holidays, everybody. Yes, yes, of course. Failing up. The Paul George story. <laughs> also the story of half of the college coaches working for big-time uh, football and basketball programs. No matter the scandal, no matter the crime. Dumbass ADs everywhere, willing to forget it all, hoping to get a couple more games, a couple more wins. Just brutal. Failing up. What's more frustrating than someone who keeps failing up? Very few things. Uh, Paul George, great basketball player. Not clutch in the playoffs. Uh, not someone who I would give max money to and build around. We'll see how that goes for the Clippers. Let's go to the ice. Emily Kaplan, national NHL reporter for ESPN, also around the horn panelist, noted bagel snob. You can follow her at Emily M. Kaplan. I'm guessing this is hockey related. This has been something that has bugged me for a while, but it is a golden age for hockey in the United States. Participation has never been higher and there has never been more exciting wave of young stars. And I've gotten over my grievance of us missing the showcase that would have been the 2018 Olympics because NHL players should return in Beijing, but... My big issue is almost all of the great American young stars are playing on Canadian teams and therefore U.S. audiences rarely get to see them. Austin Matthews, the Kachuk brothers, Brock Besser, Johnny Gaudreau, Quinn Hughes, Kyle Connor, Blake Wheeler, Connor Hellebuck. What a bummer for U.S. hockey fans that we don't get to see these guys on a regular basis. Yep. Yes, of course. A hockey rant. I appreciate it. Uh, when the Blackhawks are not in the mix as one of the best teams, and I don't get to cover it as much nationally, uh, it's it's easy for me to slip out of being a, a diehard hockey fan. So I appreciate you wrangling uh, me back in and reminding me that you're absolutely right. We need to stop outsourcing that great American talent. We need to keep them in the States. However, I do still reserve the right to uh, continue talking about the fact that Canadians lead American teams to Stanley Cup glory, and then we just ignore their Canadian heritage in order to clown Canada about their cup drought. <laughs> We're always like, Canada hasn't won in years. Meanwhile, every player on the team that wins is Canadian. <laughs> we, don't need, we don't need to be consistent. Uh, moving on, Raheel Ramzanali of the No Layups podcast, or 
at Raheel doing things on Instagram. Uh, let's hear what he has to say. Okay, I'm heading to the world of sports radio for a grievance. To me, it'll never get old seeing sports radio hosts who rock oversized khaki cargo shorts they bought from Costco during a Black Friday sale and a free t-shirt from a sister station bash on athletes rocking the coolest fit. Like, I don't need your cargo shorts criticizing Cam Newton for putting together one of the illest fits I've ever seen. Stop it, sports radio hosts, please. Oh, chef's kiss. Perfection. So true. You know, Cam doesn't always nail it. Westbrook doesn't always nail it. But they're taking risks. They're having fun. They're doing fashion. And we all know that cargo shorts are a whole different kind of risk and never fashion. Uh, This reminds me of the dudes who are always commenting on my earrings on social media. It is inevitably a middle-aged white dude who has something to say about my earrings. And every time I just reply, Anna Wintour, is that you? I'm fairly certain they know nothing about whether what I'm wearing is stylish. So it's less about uh, feeling like uh, they have any influence on me when they criticize me and more about why do you care, sir, with your two small children on your lap in your photo? Why why are you criticizing my jewelry? Uh, Let's go out to Jane McManus, my former trifecta uh, teammate and former ESPN teammate who's now uh, working at Marist College and also a deadspin writer and podcaster. Let's see what she has to rant about. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for asking me to contribute my grievance. There are so many, it's hard to choose only one. But the one I'm going to pick is about your namesake, Sarah Fuller, who did a great job for Vanderbilt filling in as kicker this year. My issue is with all the headlines that said she was the first player in the Power Five, the first woman to kick in the Power Five, which is great until you consider that the Power Five is, what, 12, 13 years old? It's really very short. It's like it's like saying Baker Mayfield is the first Oklahoma player in the Power Five to win the Heisman. I mean, that's great. But Sam Bradford won it in 2008, not that long ago. Anyway, there are a lot of women who've kicked in the NCAA. First in the FBS, which is how we normally talk about these things, was Katie Nida. Back in 2003, April Goss followed up Kent State in 2015. And I think it's important, as I'm grieving and having grievances, to remember those two women and the others who've kicked in college football. Thanks so much. Good luck with your pod. You know what? That's a decent one. I do think that, thankfully, enough people are going back to find out about Katie Nida and those other kickers. I think Sarah Fuller's uh, viral moment has kind of helped other female kickers get the spotlight again. My grievance is all the people that are saying, well, this is a fun story until she gets tackled, not doing a modicum of research, which has been common around this story, but she's six foot two. She's a badass keeper in soccer where she has to battle the opposing team's forwards or she has to dive and jump and punch and do all those things. Most college kickers are not 6'2 with booming, crazy legs and arms. And I mean, the girl can handle herself. She's fine. Also, at this point, their season's over, so she's done with football. But uh, that just cracked me up, this idea that we're so delicate. What will happen if she gets hit? Well, she'll get up like she did in soccer over and over when she was a champion. Uh, let's go to my co-host on Spain and Fitz. Uh, he was a longtime musician, still is in his free time, but uh, went to Juilliard as a young kid and, and uh, is now is now my radio co-host and an inspired, passionate Raiders fan, which led to this. All right, let's be real. Grievances in 2020 should be easy, but I'm going to go bigger. I'm going to go broader, Sarah. I'm going to go to a lifetime grievance. I put everything I feel as a fan every day 
on my dad. See, here's the thing. I'm a Raiders fan, which means every year I get my heart ripped out. It means the playoffs are this thing that I look forward to before the draft because I know that once the games actually start, I won't have a chance. I'm relegated to playing Madden if I want to see my favorite team win. That's what my life has been as a fan, and that's all because my dad chose to be a Raiders fan. When I was a little kid, the rule was no practicing the violin on Sunday because I want to watch a Raiders game. So we'd sit down, we'd eat a dozen donuts together, we'd watch the Raiders, all right? So I went through my fat stage because of the Raiders, and I've gone through my heartbreak fandom stage my entire life because of the Raiders. If my dad would have just been a Patriots fan, how much different could all of this be? My grievance, I know, at the end of the year of 2020 is all about the fact that I was born into this fandom and now I'm too ingrained in it to ever escape. Ugh. Okay, I am 100% with you on sometimes feeling cursed by the fandom that I was either selected or born into, but a Pats fan? A Pats fan, Fitz? You would have been a mass hole. That is not worth the wins, my friend. I would much rather that you be a perpetual Raiders fan loser than a mass hole. Just for our friendship's sake. Uh, Chineo Gumake hosts the show just before Spain and Fitz. Chineo Golik Jr. on ESPN Radio, also a WNBA player, also a superstar in every other way, except for singing. Tell her I said that. Here's what she had to say. Hello, my good people. Happy holidays. I guess the only moment that really makes me a Grinch is the fact that one, like, first of all, it's a blessing to work in the NBA on Christmas Day. And so normally I've been by myself working on this holiday, which has been huge on the sports calendar. But my Grinch moment is just the fact that after those games, and I'm by myself during the holidays, typically, I usually binge watch something really good. Now, the problem here is that I've binge watched everything in quarantine, so much so that I actually finally watched The Office. And yes, that is one of the best shows ever. And I'm glad I did that. But now I'm going into a holiday where I'm going to be super excited. We've got football, we've got basketball. And then after that, what will I be watching? Probably just 90 Day Fiance. I guess that's it. I mean, I've already watched The Undoing. So that's my problem. So give me all the TV show recommendations that can help me get through these holidays, even though I pretty much watch everything. Thanks, Sarah. Okay, girl, we've all watched some weird stuff during this, some comforting stuff, but we need to do better than 90 Day Fiance. We just we just need to spend our time better. You're a busy woman. Uh, I like The Office. I'm glad you went through that. Here's a couple more if you have not binged them or never watched them at all. Parks and Rec, The Good Place. Schitt's Creek, Mad Men, and Gilmore Girls. Those are the ones you need. You need those. Uh, Also, Ted Lasso is a great new show that's very heartwarming and will make you feel good about life. So check that one out, too. Ah, my producer, Dan Stanzik, chiming in here with a dilemma and a grievance. Okay, love it. He, of course, would know how this podcast goes and that I usually start with a dilemma. So he gave me one here at the end. Let's hear it. Sarah, it's your producer, Dan Stanzik. Happy holidays. Happy Festivus. I have issues and I need answers. First, as you know, I love Jeopardy. I've watched it regularly since I was a kid. I've read multiple books about the show. Alex Trebek's passing really shook me to the core. And I'm here to say that Ken Jennings is the rightful heir to the throne. And I hope he gets the gig full time in 2021. That being said, my biggest complaint about the show is whenever there are unrevealed clues left on the board at the end of a round. How is this even possible? The show is edited, isn't it? Like, why don't we just cut a question from the interview portion? Do we really need to hear about Phyllis's knitting club? I don't think so. To quote the great Taylor Twellman, what are we doing? Second, and perhaps more importantly, I got married in May. Weird to not have my parents there, but you know, COVID. Marriage has been great so far, but my beautiful wife, Jenna, and I have one unresolved issue. What is the proper order of our names? 
Are we Dan and Jenna? My preference. Or Jenna and Dan? Her preference. Do we go alphabetically? Do I have to defer to her because of the whole happy wife, happy life thing? Sarah, help me. Okay, well, that last bit is easy. Dan and Jenna just sounds better than Jenna and Dan. That's just, that's just how it works. If it was a radio show, it would be the Dan and Jenna show, not the Jenna and Dan show. It's just the way the cadence works. So uh, nothing to do with male, female, nothing to do with the patriarchy or happy wife, happy life. It just sounds better to say Dan and Jenna. Like I say, Brad and Sarah. I put myself second in only that, <laughs> in only that, because Brad and Sarah sounds better than Sarah and Brad. It's just, it's just the cadence. As for Ken Jennings, I'm sort of torn on this, Dan, because I do think that he fits the mold for that show. He obviously had an incredible run. There's something much more endearing about him than, say, the gambling guy who had a great run, but a little quirky, right? I don't know if he has the presence to be a host, but Jennings has revealed a couple different times via social media to have either a terrible tone-deaf sense of humor or to just be a bad dude. Um, Two examples of that was a couple years ago, there was a Star Wars super fan whose dying wish was to get to go see Star Wars The Force Awakens, and he was granted the wish, and then Jennings tweeted it, and then he died right after. And Jennings tweeted, it can't be a good sign that every fan who's seen the new Star Wars movie died shortly thereafter. Um, that's just weird. Like why, what, in what universe is, is that funny? Um, and then the other one was even worse. And one that I actually had never seen the first time around, um, until a friend of mine who is a fantastic, superb athlete and super hot, uh, mentioned it to me. And it was a tweet that he has left up until like this week or so when he was named the interim host, he wrote, Nothing sadder than a hot person in a wheelchair. And his addressing of that back in the day was that he meant something different in his head when he thought it. I have no idea how you read that other than just being a dick. So I'm kind of torn on Ken Jennings. I feel like uh, you want to let people get past things in their past, but that was not that long ago and he kept it up until like this week. So Jury's still out on that. Uh, Some good ones this year in terms of grievances. Uh, And I appreciate that you guys managed not to go with the I couldn't find any toilet paper or I was stuck at home. Much more creative than that. Um, I've got plenty of grievances. And I'm going to stick with the one that's just currently in this moment chapping my ass. And that's people asking me for stuff this week. It's just a couple days before Christmas. So your email is 100% getting buried in 8,000 last second Christmas deal offers, 7,000 of which are from CB2. They are relentless over there. Uh, And messages from friends and out of office bounce backs and correspondence with my family about how we're going to exchange gifts outside on Christmas in 19 degrees, which is what we're supposed to have. Like, you really think now's a great time to ask me uh, to give you advice on quitting your job and starting a sports podcast or introducing you to athletes and team reps to help with your startup company or watching your hosting reel and giving you tips. Like, I am a nice person. I will do all of those things for you, but I will not do them right now. And I actually fear that my advice will be wasted on someone with no common sense. It's December 21st. I am already checked out. I have eggnog to drink and presents to wrap and movies to watch and work to finish and vacation days to look forward to. This does not count as a real week. This is a fake week. I already don't want to be working today and I don't want to read your damn emails on top of it. So 
Hit me up in 2021. And not on January 1st, you masochistic mother- Alright, cool. Now that I've completely forgotten the holiday spirit, I'm gonna have to get back to it uh, with some heartwarming tales of the 2020 holiday season. I did a little crowdsourcing, and you guys came through with some really awesome tales of true life magic. Um, I think we should just go through a couple. Um, You guys should definitely seek these out on the internet if you need a good happy cry or to feel your tiny little Grinch heart grow three sizes today. Some of these are worth really diving into the full story. Uh, but I want to thank Brady Klopfer on Twitter, who shared um, that the baseball player Buster Posey surprised a little girl who lost her home and baseball card collection in a fire. And she thought she was just on a news segment talking about how he was her favorite player. And then he popped on to chat with her and replenish her card collection. That's a fun one. Uh, Stacy Blaziola, who shared these tweets from at BagelPickBot. Uh, oh my God. So I signed up to this organization thing where university students studying French get paired with old people in France who are lonely to have conversations over Skype. And I just had my first one and it was the most wholesome thing. My French grandma is 91 and she likes knitting and lives in a retirement home and asked me at the end, I'm not boring you too much, am I? Would you like to call again next week? I just got this message from the organizer. OMG, I'm going to cry. It says, thank you for the conversation. It was really nice and she can't wait to call you again. I love that. Uh, There was the great story of Buffalo Bills players Gabriel Davis and Matt Milano giving a fan an incredible memory. This comes from uh, a story by Marcel Louis-Jacques on ESPN. Jackson DeLude, an eight-year-old double amputee and Buffalo resident, received a dream vacation to Disney World with a twist, a set of prosthetic blades allowing him to run properly, which he hadn't been able to do because of his partially developed legs being amputated when he was an infant. Davis and Milano heard about Jackson while training in their hometown of Florida, and their gym is part of Prosthetic and Orthotic Associates, which provides the kind of equipment Jackson needed to be able to run. So they covered the cost for him to make the trip with his mom to Orlando, where he was fitted for the blades, and he tested them out during a visit to Hollywood Studios and was running and jumping, and you can watch the video and see an absolutely thrilled Jackson on, uh, on ESPN.com. I also love this one that Rhiannon Potkey shared from an indie star story. Uh, this is a little bit of how it went. All those deliveries at all those houses with all those driveways with all those basketball hoops. FedEx driver Aubrey Robinson saw so many of them. But there was this one, this one hoop in a mobile home park just outside of West Harrison, Indiana, rusty and bent, almost too warped for a ball to fall through. And yet beneath that hoop, every time she drove by was 11-year-old Eli Maines, smiling and beaming like he was playing on a hoop in a glitzy NBA arena, jumping, dribbling, shooting, and full of glee. Just the joy. I just always loved how much the joy just poured out of this kid whenever he was playing, said Robinson. It really did melt my heart the way he was bouncing around that they're so happy on a bent-up hoop. On the days Robinson passed Eli playing in his mobile home park, it made her smile, but it also made her sad and weighed on her heart. She wished Eli could have a brand new basketball goal with a round hoop. And then one day it hit her. Robinson can't really explain what, she said, but it was like a calling to intervene. I could get him a hoop. Why don't I get him a hoop? Robinson said she remembers thinking to herself. I mean, I'm not made of money, but I've always felt like we're just meant to take care of each other, meant to look after each other in this world. On one of her rare Saturdays off from delivering, Robinson decided once and for all she knew exactly what she had to do. Robinson went to Target in Springboro, Ohio, where she lives, and bought a Spalding basketball goal with a regulation basketball. Several long, laborious hours later, she had the goal assembled. She borrowed a friend's truck, set out on the 50-mile drive to Eli's house in southeastern Indiana, hoping all the way the family wouldn't be home 
so they wouldn't find her doing it and feel indebted. Later that night, Eli's mom got home from delivering Grubhub and Amazon with her boyfriend, and it was dark, and she didn't see the new goal at first, but as she headed to the porch with the lights on, she noticed a basketball with a basketball goal manual sitting next to it. Inside, she sat down and read the note left by Robinson and started to cry. Just wanted you and your son to have the best hoop that'll grow with him and all his friends, Robinson had written on a FedEx notepad. It's wonderful that you guys shoot hoops with him. On the manual, Robinson had signed with a smiley face and the words, just one of the FedEx drivers for the area. Eli wrote her a thank you note and waited for her to come back along his route. And when she did, he answered the door and they burst into tears and they got a huge hug and played hoops together. I love it. So simple and so wonderful. Uh, here's a nice one that at Thomas Luke 69 passed along from CNN uh, about a doctor. COVID-19 vaccines are starting to roll out and a momentous breakthrough that hopefully signals a light at the end of the dark pandemic for Catalan Carrico, the moment is particularly special. Carrico has spent decades of her career researching the therapeutic possibilities of mRNA, a component of DNA that's considered to be one of the main building blocks of life. Through multiple setbacks, job losses, doubt, and a transatlantic move, Carrico stood by her conviction that mRNA could be used for something truly groundbreaking. Now that work is the basis of the COVID-19 vaccine. No, so now 65, she started her career in Hungary in the 1970s when mRNA research was new. And in 85, she and her husband and young daughter left for the U.S. after she got an invitation from Temple University. So they sold their car, they stuffed the money, about 1200 bucks, and their daughter's teddy bear for safekeeping and moved. Uh, she continued her research at Temple, then UPenn. But by then, the bloom was off the rose of mRNA research, and Carrico's idea that it could be used to fight disease was deemed too radical and too financially risky to fund. She applied for grant after grant, but kept getting rejections. And in 1995, she was demoted from her position at UPenn and diagnosed with cancer around the same time. Eventually, Carrico and her former colleague at UPenn, Drew Weissman, developed a method of utilizing synthetic mRNA to fight disease that involves changing the way the body produces virus-fighting material. And that discovery is now the basis of the COVID-19 vaccine. Some have said that both Weissman and Carrico, now a senior VP of the Germany-based BioNTech, deserve a Nobel Prize. I love that she spent her whole life believing in this, and now it's becoming this massive uh, life and world-saving thing. Super badass. Uh, at Granger242 told me about a good Samaritan who anonymously paid off $65,000 in Walmart layaway items in Tennessee. At Lolo13419 told me about a man in Cheryl, Iowa, who's been making school desks for all the kids who are studying at home and partnered with a lumberyard who gave him a bunch of discounts on supplies. I love that. That's great to give back to your neighborhood. Uh, Amy O'Connor posted about a three-year-old boy who befriended his 78-year-old neighbor during lockdown. Uh, she stuck her finger through a fence and pretended to be a little worm, and they started talking and became best friends. Uh, kind of like a story that at Bo El Hasso shared. Uh, I regularly saw an elderly gentleman walking his dog on my evening dog walks. One day he was walking without his dog. He was heartbroken at the loss. Now a neighbor picks him up every day to walk her dog together, and he's happy to be walking a dog and talking with the person. Uh, there's a town in Arkansas buying inflatable black Santas to support the family that got a racist note for theirs. There's a fourth grader giving away toys to honor her fallen military dad. A dad who got a giant tattoo just like the birthmark his son has. And a dad who, before passing away, left his son $10 specifically so he could buy him his first beer when he turned 21. There's a teacher who adopted a student whose grandfather passed away and was going to go into foster care. 
And perhaps my second favorite story of the season, the incredible story of the woman who pretended to be a fairy to cheer up a four-year-old neighbor girl who had set up a little fairy garden beneath a tree. And it's so sweet. You just need to read it for yourself. Google Kelly Kenny Fairy. The photos, the details, it's all just so pure. Uh, Which brings me to my number one, which is selfishly something that I put into motion, but it's all about the other people that made it happen in an incredible way. Uh, Here's how my favorite moment of 2020 came together. So last year, some friends of the amazing Lindbergh family, Megan, Mike, and their kiddos, Melina, Major, and Max, uh, had posted about needing to help the family get a new van to transport Max without needing to move him from his fitted wheelchair. And I know the Lindberghs because they run our favorite dog rescue piece for pits, which is uh, where we got two of our pups, Banks and Haji, and I really wanted to help. Um, And I had worked with Toyota and a guy named John Lisko at Saatchi and Saatchi, their advertising agency, a number of times at the ESPNW Summit. So I figured it was worth asking if they might be able to provide a little magic for this great family. And despite the struggles of this year and the challenges of COVID, uh, the Chicago office of Saatchi and Saatchi, Chris and Kim, and the great, awesome group of Chicagoland Toyota dealers all came together and did a really amazing thing. They gave the Lindberghs a brand new Toyota Sienna. Um, And not just the van, there were videos and signed merchandise from Cubs players and toys to play with while mom did the paperwork. The staff raced the kids around the auto uh, dealership and there was tons of laughs as they figured out how to use the van's automatic doors. Um, So they're going to use a state grant to modify the van so they can take Max anywhere and everywhere with them in his fitted chair. He can be upright, engaged, and social and just as comfortable as he is at home. Uh, He was diagnosed with a number of, of different things when he was born and continued to have to undergo lots of different surgeries and procedures. And and it's been really tough, especially in a year where uh, kids like that are extra, extra fragile. And so, you know, it's just nice to remember that there are good people out there willing to do good things for good people. And, you know, they've done so much for dog parents with their rescue. They've done so much about spreading the word for differently abled kids and serving as an example of what a family that leads with their hearts looks like. And so they just deserved all that good karma coming their way. And if you remember when Becky Lynch was on this podcast, it was Max's sister, Milena, who popped on to ask her some questions. So if you remember back then, uh, they're just they're just an awesome family. And I'm really glad uh, that we got to do something, me and Sachi and Sachi and Toyota and all those dealers, uh, to make their year a little bit easier. Um, so shout out to them. And now that we're all in our feels and feeling warm and fuzzy about all those amazing people coming together to help Max and his family, um, let's settle in for one more holiday treat, which is my painstakingly composed sports year in review, my annual night before Christmas poem. And I will be posting a video of me reading it, uh, by the fire in a very Christmassy setting, um, in the next couple of days. So keep an eye out for that on my social media handles at Spain, two, three, two, three on Insta and at Sarah Spain on Twitter. Uh, without any further ado, here it is. Twas the night before Christmas, the year 2020. Troubles and worries and fears were aplenty. As in tough times before, though these clearly the worst, I set out to remember the sports year in verse. As I wrestled with rhymes on this memorable eve, most dreamt of the wonders that St. Nick might leave. Not AirPods, a PlayStation 5, or nice shoes. Not chocolate, cigars, or a bottle of booze. This year is different, so too are our lists. Less stuff that we want, more things that we've missed. Like big hugs from our parents, kids out of the house. A break from the Zoom calls, a break from our spouse. A party for hundreds, no masks on our faces. Travel to all of our favorite places. A concert that isn't live streaming on verses. And most of all, rest for our doctors and nurses. 
I'd like to believe in what St. Nick can do, but we'll stay safe at home if he doesn't come through. And in the meantime, till normal returns, a poem to distract from our many concerns. Because even though sports didn't look quite the same, we still found a way to compete and play games. Crowned champs, raised trophies, celebrated too. It all started in January with LSU. Tigers be Tigers, like the Spider-Man meme, as Dabo and Clemson met Orgeron's team. No repeat for Lawrence, Joe Burrow now king. LSU undefeated, capped it off with a ring. Over in the pros, there was wild card madness as fans took great pleasure in New England's sadness. They lost to the Titans. King Henry was great. The Pats' AFC title game streak done at eight. Seahawks top Philly. Texans beat Bills. OT between Minnie and Nola brought thrills. Another late loss for Trubreeze and the Saints. Another close call meant more Saints fan complaints. Niners top Vikes. Seattle fell to Green Bay. Houston choked in KC in a noble display. The league MVP and his Baltimore squad got shocked by the Titans and their running back, God. In the title game, San Fran stopped A.A. Ron's run, and the Chiefs were the team to end Tennessee's fun. Stage was set, and the Niners and KC would meet. In Miami, at Super Bowl Live, they'd compete. Mahomes and his homies did their comeback thing to defeat Jimmy G and get Andy his ring. And while Reed will put a smile on most anyone near you, the best moves were still made by J.Lo and Shakira. The game a distraction for many still mourning the death of the legend with nary a warning. Kobe and Gigi, both loved and adored, killed in a crash that took all those on board. Looking back, some remember his death as the first in a long list of things that made this year our worst. Soon after came COVID, the world put on hold by a virus that couldn't be stopped or controlled. In sports, coaches' playbooks were ditched for physicians. They said we must cancel or postpone traditions. Olympics, March Madness, spring college sports too. If we wanted to play, the old ways wouldn't do. We'd need bubbles and testing and masks on all faces, ways to keep athletes in sanitized spaces. Is it worth it to try to save jobs and save cash? Would the access to testing earn sports leagues backlash? While we pondered these questions, sports business kept rolling. Free agency trades and big deals were ongoing. The W held its first virtual draft. Sabrina went first. No surprise that. The NFL draft was good virtual fun. Bengals got Burrow with pick number one. We love Jerry's yacht and Cliff Kingsbury's pad. The war room at Vrabel's, Javon Kinlaw's dad. We relive the 90s with the doc, The Last Dance. Thank goodness the film's premiere date was advanced. Tiger King's done. Let the real kings rule. Jordan's so fire makes berets look cool. There were memes galore. Waz's shrug, Zeke's rant. Straight up bitches, quoth Horace Grant. iPad reacts, Rodman's bender, vintage hippie Phil. And I took that personally is going in my will. First return NASCAR, then the UFC. Fight Island, a lie. No beach or palm trees. We watched Bundesliga and the KBO, loved the Carl Ravitch song and swole Daddy Dino. We were pumped for the start of the NWSL. No pride in the tourney, infected personnel. But once it got going, it went off without a hitch. Record numbers watched on both TV and Twitch. As other sports leagues made their plans to return, cities from coast to coast started to burn. George Floyd was the match that started the flames. How many more hashtags attached to black names? Was playing a game still the number one goal when the country was rightfully searching its soul? Would basketball action steal headlines from riots? Would athletes be asked to just play and stay quiet? All this while NASCAR was banning a flag and racists defended a noose as a gag. The last laugh to Bubba, now sponsored by Beats, and driving the goats 23 in these streets.
In July, Hoops players went into the bubble. Others opted out, inspired to find good trouble. But even those playing made activists proud, demanding their voices be heard and heard loud. Jerseys bore statements, Black Lives Matter, on courts. There was no expectation to just stick to sports. As usual, the W gals led the way. Say her name, vote Warnock. They did more than just play. Wilson of the Aces was MVP, but her team was no match for a healthy Stewie. The Storm won it all. Winning's what they do. First of two rings for Bird. She got engaged, too. Gobert scored first in the Disney World bubble. Twas his test in March that signaled big trouble. We got used to fake crowd noise and virtual fans, heard all about players and their fishing trip plans. Lou risked it all for those lemon pepper wings, butler slang coffee, Myers urn chugging king. Of course, the real king remains LeBron James, still kicking ass, still taking names. Led the Lakers to the title over the upstart heat, averaged nearly 30-12-9, and was named finals MVP. In the end, depth didn't seem to matter much. You got LeBron and AD, you got enough. Despite all the weirdness, the hooping was good. You can put an asterisk on the titles, but not many would. Both basketball leagues did it. No positive tests. The gold standard in sport, an example for the rest. Meanwhile, MLB debated over number of games. Some rolled eyes at the owner's woe-is-me claims. The league went with 60, a sprint of a race. And no bubble to play and no games in one place. It started off shaky. The Marlins got sick. St. Louis, too. This could be scrapped quick. Then the Indian scandal with Mike C. and Zach. To Clevenger, teammates said, never come back. But the season pressed on. Things began to calm down. We got used to new rules. Might keep some around. The Astros avoided a season of jeers. Best believe fans have saved plenty of booze for next year. An expanded postseason began late September. Two losing teams made it. That's one to remember. L.A. topped the Rays. It was finally their year. A title for Kershaw was something to cheer. But during the game, a real bad scene. Justin Turner tested positive for COVID-19. Came back on the field, no mask on his face. Didn't get punished. MLB's a disgrace. Hockey in August, that was a weird sight. Two Canadian hubs hosted games every night. Tampa Bay won, but it's kind of a bummer. Fans didn't get to party with Stanley all summer. Osaka, the queen of the Queen's center court. Her masks made a statement bigger than sport. Novak DQ'd when a judge felt his wrath. Team the winner with an easier path. At first, college football was canceled for all, but some Power 5 higher-ups said, let's play ball. Eventually, most other conferences caved, but I'm not sure this season was one to be saved. There are outbreaks all over, schools can't field a team, a COVID-free season, a laughable dream. Good luck to the CFP choosing their squads in a season that's so undeniably flawed. A Masters like no other, no fans to hear four, no fans to witness Dustin's course record score, an NBA draft held in Bristol CT, first Edwards, then Wiseman, LaMelo at three. The NFL also looks different this year, with fans made of cardboard and pre-taped crowd cheers. COVID sideline Lamar and Cam for the Pats. No QBs at all? Broncos. Yo, what was that? Speaking of different, Tom's in Tampa Bay, and it looks like Bill's Pats won't see postseason play. Herbert is great, too, has played well so far, and before he got hurt, Burrow looked like a star. The Cowboys lost Dak, and they got even worse. The Eagles benched Wentz and switched over to Hurts. The Washington squad is a team with no name. Alex Smith is a starter again. That's insane. Mahomes is magic. That remains unchanged. And Bills fans remain the best kind of deranged. The Browns might be good. For real. No cap. Unfortunately, the Lions are still mostly crap. Patricia got canned and O'Brien did too. Who's next? Adam Gase. We're all looking at you.
Is there still a chance the Jets get their man Trevor? Will Lawrence say, wait, the Jets? No way. Never. Will the Steelers hype fizzle come playoff time? Will the Bengals invest in a decent O-line? Was pooping the cause of Lamar Jackson's cramps? Will KC run it back and be Super Bowl champs? Will Kim Eng lead the Marlins to a World Series win? Will Sabrina start notching triple doubles again? What celeb next will join Angel City FC? And is T-Swift about to drop album number three? So many questions as 2021 nears. Guess that's expected in an uncertain year. There's one thing for sure. Maybe just the one. It'll be better than the last trip we took around the sun. Now, I shouldn't assume even in verse, but really, how could it ever get worse? Each day a new panic about one's health. People lost jobs, loved ones, and wealth. We also lost so many memorable players. Tom Seaver, Bob Gibson, Joe Morgan, Gail Sayers, Paul Horning, Al Kaline, and Whitey Ford. Maradona, the golden boy, loved and adored. Don Shula, Don Larson, Jerry Sloan, too. Phyllis George, David Stern, John Thompson, a Jew. It was a rough year for everyone. That can't be denied. On our faith and our family and friends, we relied. No doubt at all, 2028 our plans. So we fired up dreams and grabbed some ocean spray crayon. Did a TikTok dance and we learned how to bake. But that sourdough bread? Turns out it was cake. Watched live reads of favorite old movies and shows and cried at finales. Goodbye, Moira Rose. Election results made some people quite sour, delaying the peaceful transition of power. And just when we felt at the end of our rope, a vaccine was approved, bringing much-needed hope. In the new year, who knows? Maybe travel again? Get back to our offices, back to our friends. But for now, sip some eggnog and watch NBA. Let sports be the thing that helps sweeten our day. We'll be home for Christmas. Where else would we be? And New Year's as well, counting five, four, three. Oh, I'm getting ahead. It's still Christmas Eve, and the big man in red still has much to achieve. So back to your slumber. Have sweet dreams aplenty. Merry Christmas to all. Smell you later, 2020. See you next week for one last 2020 pod. Thanks, guys, for listening. And thanks, as always, for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said. 